Thank you so much, Brogan. It is so good to be with you today in this Easter season as we continue to think about and look at the resurrection of Jesus. I would love for you to open your Bibles at John chapter 20. We're going to be reading from verse 19 to 31 together in just a moment. But while you find that or open, um, open your Bibles at John chapter 20, um, let me just say something about the season that we're in. Obviously, just two days ago now, our televisions were taken over um, with the news of the death of Prince Philip, one of the most recognizable faces in the world. There's been lots of talk about death. At the minute, we're in the season of Easter where we remember the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Last week, we were thinking about how Jesus' resurrection means that death will be dealt with, that every injustice will be dealt with. We know that the Queen believes this, don't we? She believes in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour. Just a few years ago now on a national television broadcast, she said this, that history teaches us that we need saving from ourselves from our recklessness and our greed. And God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, as important as they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. It was the queen's belief, it is the queen's belief in resurrection, the resurrection power of Jesus that sustains her. In fact, just a year ago today, she made um, a televised broadcast to the nation talking about this. It just popped up on my um, memories on my phone. Um, I saw it about 10 minutes ago. She said this to the nation, Easter isn't cancelled. This is a year ago. Indeed, we need Easter as much as ever. The discovery of the risen Christ on that first Easter gave his followers new hope and fresh purpose. And we should all take heart from this. We know that coronavirus will not overcome us. As dark as death can be, particularly with those suffering from grief, Jesus' life and light are greater. And then she prayed for the whole nation. She prayed this. May the living flame of the Easter hope be our guide as we face the future. And it's to this resurrection hope that we continue to turn to right now as we look at what this means for us as we follow Jesus here in Newcastle or wherever it is that you're watching from today. So John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. I'll read this to us. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They're the main verses that we're looking at this morning, but let me just read you the following verses as well. Verse 24. 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're going to look at four themes that emerge from these verses. We're going to be mainly looking at verses 19 to 23 together, and we're going to be looking at this, how the presence of the resurrected Jesus leads to his peace, how the peace of the resurrected Jesus leads to us having a purpose, and how we have a purpose that we're not supposed to fulfill in our own strength, but that we get the power of God himself to fulfill. So presence, peace, purpose, and power. Now, firstly, some context to these verses that I've just read to us this morning. Obviously, Jesus is alive. Earlier in John chapter 20, the disciples have been to the tomb. Three disciples in particular, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John. Now, John, who writes this gospel, makes it clear that those three are there. And John has this little saying in the gospel that he wrote where he refers to himself all the way through the gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. That must have done all the other disciples' heads in, don't you think? Like he writes about Peter, he writes about all the others, and then when he writes about himself, he just makes it really clear. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. He does it all the way through the gospel. He does it twice just in the opening few verses of John chapter 20. Now, at the beginning of John 20, Mary gets to the tomb. Jesus' body isn't there, and she's a little bit confused. Peter and John are a little bit behind her in terms of getting to the tomb. Mary runs towards them, and Peter, who's a bit alarmed that Jesus' body isn't there, he then runs up towards the tomb. Peter is also confused. Where is Jesus's body? Peter asks. John, the disciple that Jesus really loved, he arrives and John has the audacity to write, and it's immortalized now forever in the word of God. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, immediately saw the empty tomb and believed. The confidence of that man. But what we've got here is Mary... She then encounters Jesus, actually, after Peter and, Peter and John leave. Mary has encountered the risen Jesus. John believes, of course. All the others are in a state of confusion. And we pick up the story in verse 19. On the evening of that first day together, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
So firstly, we're going to look at the presence of Jesus. So all of the disciples are together. Mary's met Jesus. John believes the others are confused. And they've put themselves in a state of self-inflicted lockdown. They've locked all of the doors. They're not leaving the house. They've bolted them shut because they're scared of the religious leaders and the Romans. And so they lock themselves in this house together. They're scared that the same fate that met, met with Jesus' crucifixion might actually also be their fate too. And so they're scared, they're fearful, they lock themselves away. And then suddenly, Jesus appears among them. All of a sudden, Jesus is present with the disciples. Now, what I really want us to notice about the presence of Jesus from this text is this. Notice that Jesus did not have to stand at the door and knock. Jesus did not have to ask the disciples to open the door for him. Jesus just showed up. His presence was there, even though all of the doors were locked. Jesus' presence was there, even though they were in a state of lockdown. Now, Jesus can do this because he is God. Jesus can show up and turn up wherever and whenever he likes. And I think that this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Isn't this true for our lives that Jesus just showed up even when the doors of our hearts were locked to him because of our wickedness and our sin and the evil that exists in our heart? Isn't it true that Jesus just walked into our life and raised us to new life? Paul put it like this, didn't he, in Ephesians 2 verse 5. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. For it is by grace that we have been saved. Paul says that we were so locked up in our mess and in our sin that we were dead. Now, can a dead person raise themselves back to life? No. Can somebody who is dead choose life? No. They're dead. So they can only come back to life if someone with the power to raise them from the dead chooses to raise them back to life. The dead person contributes nothing to the event, which is why Paul says it is purely by grace that you have been saved. Now, this is the picture, isn't it, that we see in John chapter 20. The disciples have completely barricaded themselves in because of fear, and yet Jesus chooses to be present with them anyway. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. The disciples contributed nothing to Jesus being there. Now here at St. Thomas's, we of course believe in salvation by grace and through faith alone. As I often say, there is nothing that we contributed to our own salvation except for the sin that made it necessary in the first place. It's all a beautiful work of God. Now, what does Jesus' presence with the disciples, even though they'd locked all of the doors, mean for us today? What does it mean for us when we've locked the doors of our hearts? What does it mean for us when we've been in a state of lockdown? Well, it means this. 
It means that Jesus can go where he wants, when he wants. It means that Jesus can go to the bits of your life that no one else wants to go to or can go to. It means that there's nothing in your past, nothing in your present, and there'll be nothing in your future that Jesus cannot and won't touch if he chooses to. There's nothing that you've done that is so bad that excludes you from knowing God's love if you have repented and believed in Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus cannot bring healing to if he chooses to. His presence changes everything. And here at St. Thomas's, we love the presence of God. As we often say, maybe if you've been coming to St. Thomas's for a while now, you've heard me say this before, um, but we often say this, we don't seek God's power. This is quoting John Wimber. We don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. For his power, his healing, and everything we need is always found in his presence. The presence of Jesus is an undeserved unmerited gift that he chooses to give to us. Now, Jesus' presence always leads to peace. And this is the second thing that we're going to look at today. So continue, we're still in verse 19. Notice that John tells us that the disciples were, were afraid. They were afraid of the religious leaders. They are afraid that they too are going to be crucified. If I was with the disciples... I would probably be afraid too. But notice that Jesus comes and stands with them right in the middle of their fear and says, peace be with you. And notice that in the verses that I read to us this morning, Jesus doesn't say peace be with you just once. He says it again just two verses later in verse 21. He says it again a week later to the disciples, doesn't he? Peace be with you. Now, this must have been so reassuring for the disciples. Jesus is bringing them peace. Now, again, what I want us to notice about the order in the way that things are happening in these verses is this, that Jesus gives them his peace before he gives them any command. Jesus gives them his peace before he gives them any task. Jesus gives them his peace before he asks them to do anything, before he tells them to go out into the world and tell other people that he's alive, before he gives them any jobs to do, Jesus speaks his peace. Now, I read John Piper's little commentary on this passage um, during the week, and he said this about the, the order of things in this passage. This is quoting John Piper. Before Jesus says anything about power or purpose, he wants to establish peace. The order here is really important. The peace that Jesus gives is before and underneath any of our empowered actions or any of our purposeful deeds. We don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. He initiates peace with us. Now, we talk about this a lot at St. Thomas's, but the order of these things is really important. And the reason it's important is because the gospel is so clear on this. You do not work for peace with God. You do not work for your salvation. You do not strive for your salvation. 
It is a free gift, and everything else flows from that. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. We don't work in order to earn God's love. We work from a place of knowing that we are deeply loved by our heavenly Father. Now, when we know that that's the the order of the gospel, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because we don't have to come to church and be worried about whether we're worshipping enough on on a Sunday. We don't have to come to church and wonder whether God's really pleased with us or not. Our worship doesn't have to be selfish. It can be selfless because we come to church knowing that it is all about God. It's not about my performance. This is so freeing. Now, what does this peace mean for us today? Well, again, just notice in the passage that Jesus does not wait for the disciples to, to sort themselves out, does he? He comes to them and stands with them right in the middle of their fear, right when they are most afraid. Now, perhaps as you sit here today, you feel full of, here, full of fear. Perhaps as you sit here today, you are confused you're hurting, you're lonely, whatever it might be. We can take heart from this passage and know that the resurrected Jesus comes to you right now. He comes to us right now and stands with us in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our confusion, in the middle of all of that stuff, and he speaks his peace to us. If you're caught in the trap of trying to earn God's peace, if you're caught in the trap of trying to earn God's love, then today Jesus is saying, peace be with you. Before he gives you any commands, before he gives you any jobs to do, he speaks his peace to you and it is a free gift. And praise God that Jesus doesn't wait for us to sort ourselves out. Praise God that he doesn't ask us to summon up enough strength for us to have peace with ourselves. He comes right to us and speaks his peace. Now, I'm sure many of you know that the command to do not be afraid is one of the most repeated commands in all of the scriptures. But here's the thing. God knows that we cannot do that on our own. He knows that we can't summon up enough strength all of the time by ourselves to not be afraid. And so God does it for us. He wins us peace for for us. He gives us his peace so we don't have to earn it. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it by applying the truth and the reality of Jesus's death and resurrection to our lives. Look at verse 20. Jesus shows the disciples his crucifixion scars, the scars that won peace forever. And suddenly, as soon as the disciples see the crucifixion scars, all of a sudden, their fear turns to joy. Their despair turns to hope. And here's the thing, church. Jesus is still doing that today. Jesus is still turning fear into joy, despair into hope. He's doing it all over the world to millions of different people all at the same time. Jesus continues to transform lives. And here's the invitation to us. He continues to do that and he chooses you and me to do it with him. He gives us, and this is the third P, 
He gives us purpose. Look at verse 21. Jesus' presence is there. He's spoken his peace, and this leads to the disciples having purpose. Verse 21. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. The disciples are given a purpose on the back of Jesus' resurrection. They're now being sent to proclaim the good news of the risen Jesus and that the risen Jesus brings peace and that he can be present with us. Now, what a privilege this is for the disciples. They now get to partake in the mission of Jesus. And here's the thing, church. We get to do the same right here, right now in Newcastle, wherever it is that you're watching from today. We too get to partake in the mission of the resurrected Jesus. All of us are caught up in this. And this is not just for church professionals. This is not just for a chosen few. This is not just for people that feel that they've got the gift of evangelism. All of us are caught up and involved in this, pur- in this, in this purpose. How are we? Well, again, you'll hear us say this a lot, St. Thomas's, but everyone who is baptized and is following Jesus is in full-time ministry. Everybody who is following Jesus is in full-time ministry. It's not just me as the vicar. It's not just Lee or Brogan. All of us who are following Jesus are in full-time ministry. So wherever it is that God has called called you to, that is where you are to make known the glory of God. It might be that the, in the way that you teach. It might be in the way that you lead your school. It might be in the way that you practice medicine. It might be the way that you deal with customers. It might be the way that you bring up your kids or love your neighbors. But all of us are called to reveal the glory of God and to speak of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We all play our parts. Again, as I often say, why stoop to be the vicar if God's called you to be the te- a teacher? Why stoop to be the prime minister if God's called you to clean the streets? Do what it is that God has called you to do and do it as though you're working for Jesus and you are playing your part in the Great Commission. The church has often perpetuated this nonsense that it's far more important to be, a, you know, to be working for the church in terms of the Great Commission than it is to be out in the world. You know, we celebrate church staff or church leaders um, and fail to celebrate teachers or, or, or nurses or people that are working in retail or sport or whatever it might be. All of us are called to play our part. This false dichotomy that the church has created between secular and sacred just is not true. A a friend of um, mine, Greg Downs, used to say this, the only thing that is secular is sin. The only thing that is secular is sin. Everything else belongs to Jesus. We all get to play our part. If you feel, as you you watch this or you sit in um, the church building right now, that your job is not as important as somebody else's, for whatever reason, or you feel that you can't make a difference because you've not been called to do a certain thing, and that myth has been perpetuated to you by the church, then let me, on behalf of the church, say sorry. Everyone who's following Jesus gets to play their part. Now, we can do this because we are given power. Fourth P, resurrection 
power. Now the disciples are being sent, just as Jesus was sent into the world by the Father, Jesus is now sending his disciples. And the disciples are not to be ambassadors for Jesus in their own strength. No, he sends the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22. Jesus has promised the disciples throughout the gospel, you know, throughout the gospel of John and all the other gospels actually, that he will send the Holy Spirit. And in verse 22, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. In chapter 14 of John's gospel, Jesus promised the disciples that he would send the Spirit so that they would not be left as orphans. That wonderful truth that we were singing just a few moments ago, I am a child of God. God did not leave us as orphans, but sent the Holy Spirit. Again, in chapter 15 of John's gospel, Jesus said this to the disciples, the spirit of truth will come to you and testify about me. So something about the spirit um, coming to us so we know that we're not orphans, something about the spirit testifying to who Jesus is. And again, in chapter 16 of John's gospel, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, promised Jesus. Now, this is great news, not just for the disciples, but for us as well. You might, have, you might be listening to this so far and think, okay, Jesus' presence is with me. I know that he speaks his peace over my life. I'm beginning to believe that where it is that God has placed me, he has a purpose for. But how am I supposed to do that when I'm so weak? How am I supposed to do that when I get things wrong all of the time? Well, we can do it because God sends his Holy Spirit. God himself comes to live with us and empowers us to do the things that he has called us to do. So if you don't feel like you've got the power to do things in your own strength, remember what God said to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, verse 6. Anybody know it? I heard a few people say it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, here's the thing, church. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We have, for those of us that have repented and believed in Jesus, we have been given the spirit of adoption. We have not been left as orphans. God is with us. And more than that, God promises that not by our own strength, not by our own power, but by the Spirit's power, we are more than conquerors. And as we think about resurrection, this is a mind-blowing truth, one of the most mind-blowing truths in all of the Scripture, I think. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Now, the next time you walk into your place of work or the next time that you um, have a difficult moment with your kids or you've got, um, you, know, you particularly feel called to your street, whatever it is that you spend most of your time doing, and you feel a little bit lethargic and you feel a little bit confused, you don't know why you're there, remember this. When you walk into that place, wherever it might be, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going with you. When you next stand in front of that classroom of children and teach them, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is with you. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we can't help but speak of Jesus Christ. 
You'll see this in the New Testament, um, in the Scriptures. Every time in the New Testament somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the fruit? They begin to speak of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in, this, in this passage from John's Gospel, Jesus breathes on his disciples in verse 22 and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And um, that might seem like an odd thing to do. But I think Jesus is just making it clear in a physical way that the Spirit that he's giving them is his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit will always point to and always testify about Jesus Christ. Ellie and I, when we first got married, we lived in Cambridge, which is a stunning city. And I loved living in Cambridge. I loved walking around Cambridge, and particularly at nighttime. We lived right in the center of Cambridge, um, where, you know, a few minutes walk from all of the colleges. And at nighttime, all of these grand, um, grand university colleges would be lit up. And Ellie and I would often walk through the city streets at night and just take in the beauty of, of Cambridge. Now, when we walked past King's College or wh- wh- whatever college it was, it was that we were walking past and it was lit up, we didn't walk past King's College and we didn't turn to each other and say, what beautiful floodlights. Aren't those floodlights absolutely stunning? No, we'd walk past King's College and say, isn't that building amazing? Now, in the same way, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a little bit like a floodlight. He always points to the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is always testifying about the truth and the reality of Jesus. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the fruit going to be? Speaking and telling of the person of Jesus Christ. One of the marks, I think, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, often when you meet somebody and they can't help but talk about Jesus. They talk about Jesus all of the time. They talk about how much they love Jesus. They talk about what they're reading in his word. They talk about how much they love, that they love God's truth. They talk about how much they love God's promises in their life. It's a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to do this stuff. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to speak and tell of the person of Jesus. And this is such good news because it means that we don't have to work for this ourselves. I don't have to wake up every day and try and summon my own strength, in my own strength to talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit does it for me and with me. And that's why we often pray, come Holy Spirit. And that's the message of verse 23, isn't it? The disciples are sent to speak forgiveness over anyone who believes in Jesus so that they too might know Jesus' presence, his peace, his purpose, and his power. You too can know Jesus' presence, peace, purpose, and power. But here's the thing. We spent most of the time looking at the first five verses of John 20. The next few verses that I read to us up to verse 31 deal specifically with Thomas, don't they? And Thomas, it took Thomas a while to believe. 
A week later, the disciples are still barricaded in that same place. They're still locking the doors. They're still fearful. And isn't the process of being transformed, it sometimes takes a while, doesn't it? It doesn't always come overnight. The Holy Spirit works on us over, well, over many, many years. We're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. A week later, the disciples are still barricaded in in that room. They're still locked, still locked up for fear. Thomas still doesn't believe. And yet Jesus literally just commands Thomas to believe. Thomas, believe. Thomas did nothing except receive that command and then fell at Jesus' feet and said, my Lord and my God. Sometimes this stuff takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while for the penny to drop. And if you're here today and you feel a little bit like Thomas at the moment, that's fine. But Jesus is still, still speaking the reality, of his, the reality of his presence, his peace, his purpose, and his power into your life. So that we too can fall at Jesus' feet and say, my Lord and my God. Now, like the disciples, lots of us, I'm sure, feel like we are in some form of lockdown. Okay, we might not have bolted the door shut ourselves. Somebody else has bolted them for us. But we still might feel like we're in some kind of lockdown where we too are fearful and afraid. There might be some stuff going on in our personal lives that means that we're confused, that we're grieving whatever it might be. But we too, right now, can know Jesus' presence with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' presence does lead to peace. And hear Jesus saying those words to you right now, peace be with you. No no matter what's going on around you, no matter what storms are raging in your life, Jesus says to you this morning, peace be with you. He also this morning is giving you purpose. To speak and tell of Jesus Christ, to reveal the glory of God wherever it is that he has called you to. But he's not asked you to do that in your own strength. He's giving you his power through the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus' invitation to all of us today, whether we're in person or watching online, is this. Will you join in? with this story that started in John chapter 20 with this first group of scared disciples, will you join in today? Will you join in today in knowing Jesus' presence here in this fantastic part of the world? As we seek to be a church that resources mission and ministry across this region and plants lots of churches, will you join in today? 
as we seek to be a church that follows Jesus, builds community and loves Newcastle, will you join in in speaking peace to others? Will you join in in the purpose that God has given you wherever it is that he's called you to? And as you join in, he will fill you with his power. Can I invite us to stand as we respond where we are?